Let us pray. Amos eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening. Thankful for your kindness. Thankful for your faithfulness. Thankful for your power. Thankful for your love. Our mind cannot frame worth enough to praise you for who you are. But for the little that we understand, we only can say, may all glory, honor, dominion and power belong to you, for you deserve them. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have afforded us this privilege to assemble together, to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will open our minds and enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter one, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. And I'll begin reading in verse 11. It reads, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, walking wonders. You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallow them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you, you uh, bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hauled into the sea. Now recall that the second responsibility you have as a believer regarding, the, uh, regarding God's deliverance or goodness that you experience that we have been studying is to ensure that in your praise you acknowledge Specific characteristic or characteristics of God relevant to his action for which you praise him as well as 
acknowledge his uniqueness. Now this responsibility implies that your, uh, your praise of God for his goodness should at least focus on three elements found in the song of praise of the passage of Exodus 15 that was stored in. The first content or element of your praise should be the characteristic or characteristics of God that pertain to his specific goodness to you. The second is his action and the manner in which he carried them out if you know the manner. The third is the acknowledgement of his uniqueness which involves acknowledging that God remains unique and incomparable to all the divine beings which uh, that exist though in heaven and on earth. Now this is derived from the rhetorical question of Exodus 15:11 that reads, "Who among the gods is like you, O Lord?" So we continue with the study of this third element of the uniqueness of God by considering the second rhetorical question of the verse. The second rhetorical question we'll get to shortly indicates the uniqueness of God to be acknowledged in praising Him. That uniqueness is, of course, His character. It is His that's given in the rhetorical question of Exodus 15:11. We say, "Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, walking wonders?" Now, the rhetorical question indicates there are at least two specific, unique characteristics of God that should be acknowledged in praising Him. Our praise of God should recognize the uniqueness of His holiness, as in the, uh, the phrase of Exodus 15:11. Look at what it says, majestic in holiness. That is a reading that we find in the Masoretic text. That is the text from which our English uh, Old Testament is uh, translated from. However, there are many other Hebrew uh, manuscripts, so to say. The Septuagint reads different. This is the way it reads. It reads, glorious among the holy ones, or feared among the holy ones. Those are two alternatives in the Septuagint. Now the advantage of the reading in the Septuagint is that it parallels the opening of the verse, that is, that phrase, among the gods. Now the reading of the Septuagint may really be because it is really a single letter that differentiates the Hebrew word translated holy ones and holiness. Just a simple a simple. Uh, Better. Anyway, the thing is that the reading found in the Masoretic text does not have enough support. In other words, there are no other um, manuscripts that support that. So we believe that the original reading is one we have in the Masoretic text. And so we will proceed with that as the read or the authoritative. Uh, statements. So we begin there with that phrase when he says who is like you, majestic in holiness. So we're going to focus 
on that majestic holiness. Now the question is to understand what Moses meant in the phrase majestic in holiness. Now to do so, we will consider two key words in that phrase. The first key word is the word majestic. Majestic. That is translated from a Hebrew word that appears only twice in the Old Testament Hebrew text. In its other occurrence, it has the meaning of to make magnificent or glorious. As it is used to describe what God is pleased to do, as we read in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 21. Isaiah 42 Isaiah chapter 42 verse 21. Isaiah 42 verse 21 reads, It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness and to make his law great and glorious. That's our Hebrew word that is translated majestic. Here it's translated glorious. Now in our passage of Exodus 15:11, the word really is used as a participle so that the meaning is glorious. You remember a participle is a word that either can be an adjective or a verb depending on the context. So here it is used as an adjective glorious or majestic. That is inspiring awe or reverence in the beholder. Now the second, second key word is the word holiness. Now that requires a more detailed ex- examination because of the most common thinking about this word as referring to moral purity. See most people when they think about holy, holiness, they think about moral purity. Now this notwithstanding, the word holiness that is translated from a Hebrew word that is standard Hebrew English uh, lexicon of brown, driver, and brakes. List the meaning as apartness, sacredness, holiness. That's how the, the Hebrew word codes. So they say it means apartness, sacredness, holiness. Now to comprehend really what Moses meant in the phrase of Exodus 15:11 when he say majestic in holiness we should consider that word holy that is translated from uh, a Hebrew word kedas that our again our Hebrew English lexicon indicate that when it is used in connection with God it means separate or apart and so sacred. Now based on this meaning two interpretations are given to the word when it comes to God. So when the word is used for God it can mean that God is transcendent. Transcendent. That is that he exists apart from and not subject to the limitation of material universe. This understanding 
is primarily linked to God being enthroned in heaven, since the word is used to describe the God who is on his throne in the vision of prophet Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to come back to that passage uh, very soon. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Maybe what will I put your marker there in Isaiah? Because no matter we're going to focus quite a bit on that passage. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So here, people say holy. They think about God as being transcendent. Another meaning Attached to the Hebrew word translated holy is separate from human infirmity or impurity and from sin. And so it has a meaning of superior moral qualities or purity. Now this meaning is said to be that reflected in God's identification of himself using our Hebrew word in the command issued to Israel in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 reads I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Because I am holy, do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. Now, by the way, our Hebrew word is used several times in connection with the word Israel as a title for the supreme God. For example, we see the word uh, used in that sense in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20. It is, in that day, the remnant of Israel 
The survivors of the house of Jacob will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Okay, it's related to Israel. Now that phrase, the Holy One of Israel, is really a reference to the supreme God of the universe. Now so the traditional understanding of the uh, use of the word holy to describe God is now challenged by some recent studies and that for good reasons. First, the traditional understanding of the word holy when it applies to God was based on the assumption that the Hebrew word translated holy is really derived from a Hebrew word with an original root meaning of to cut, to cut, to cut something. Now secondly, it is really uncertain that the Hebrew word translated holy is actually derived from such uh, a root meaning. But then, for sometimes now, it has been recognized by scholars, many scholars, that it is dangerous to determine the meaning of words by uh, based on what's called a etymological approach. That is, the tracing of the history or the origin of a word. It is accepted that the best approach to determining the meaning of a word is through an ex- exhaustive study of all available usage of the word, both in the literature in question and in contemporary documents in the cultures, in this case surrounding the original text of the Bible. So following this approach, it has now been determined that the essential meaning of the Hebrew word translated holy is really consecrated. Now you see, we have to remember Hebrew and Greek. Um, Sometimes we think it means it, but... The more people dig into it, they may realize, oh no, it means something else. That's what we have here with the, the word holy. So, after an extensive uh, study, it has been determined that the word translated holy is really, uh, should mean consecrated or devoted. Consecrated or devoted. Now, this was demonstrated by uh, Professor Gentry. And this was published in Bibliotheca Sacra of uh, 2013 and page actually, page 400 through 417. He demonstrated that and I'm going to uh, use quite a bit of that to show clearly that that word really means either devoted or consecrated. Now the implication of this study though is that holiness is not the same as moral purity, although the two are connected. Moral purity is that which results from being completely devoted to God, as defined by his covenant with his people. Thus, when a person is fully devoted to God, such a person will live in obedience. To the word of God. This then produces moral purity. 
Now the question then is, what does the word holy mean when applied to God? The answer is that it is the context that helps to understand what it means that God is holy in the sense of being devoted. Since we said the meaning of the word is devoted. Now this meaning of the word holy in the sense of being devoted helps to interpret the use of the word holy in connection with God's charge against Moses and Aaron that led to their punishment of not entering the land of Canaan. Now, if you have read the Bible clearly, some of you may have wondered, what sin did Moses commit that kept him from getting into the land of Canaan? And this word helps us, this new meaning helps us to understand what it is. So, well, we begin with that really by going first to Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Numbers Numbers chapter 20 verse 12 Put your marker in in, uh, Numbers for now Numbers chapter 20 verse 12 reads But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron because you did not trust me, trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Now, so many interpretations have been given as to what sin was committed by Moses and Aaron that kept them from getting into the land of Canaan. Now regardless of how this sin is interpreted, one thing is for certain, it involves Moses' speech. Since the Holy Spirit letter through the psalmist criticized Moses for his particular speech. And as we read in Psalm 106 verse 33. Psalm 106, verse 33. This is something that helps us to know whatever the sin it was had to do with speech. Psalm 106, verse 33 reads, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God and Rash words came from Moses' lips. Rash, rash words came from Moses' lips. So you see, it has to do with speech. Now this notwithstanding, our concern really is with the reason given in Numbers 20 verse 12, specifically with the, if you go back to Numbers 20 verse 12, where specifically concerned with the Vabu uh, Fraser says, To honor me as holy. That's what God chided. You refuse, you fail to honor me as holy. So that's what we're saying. What is it? 
Now commentators have either glossed over the meaning of the verbal phrase to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites or they have given interpretations that often are not quite, uh, quite satisfactory as it relates to the context. Now one of the most plausible interpretation advanced of what this verbal phrase means is that Moses and Aaron had prevented the full power and might of the Lord from becoming evident to the people and thus robbed God of the fear and reverence due to him. Now this explanation implies that God's holiness is a reference to his power which of course is different from the understanding that the Hebrew word translated holy uh, you know when they use the word moral purity that becomes something that becomes a problem with that view now but furthermore really this interpretation does not really take into account or full account the preceding context that led to the charge God brought against Moses and Aaron however if we take the meaning holy as devoted because those who said well you know they didn't show God's power they think in terms of holy being moral purity but if we take it as meaning devoted then it is easier to provide an interpretation of what God charged Moses and Aaron that takes into consideration the context so the context is the complaint of Israel to the effect that God was not devoted to them and that he brought them out of Egypt and the God who brought them out of Egypt was incapable of taking them to the promised land according to Numbers 20 go to verses 2 through 5 That's the context. Here are people. God had brought them out. And now they are saying, He is not capable of taking us in. So, in other words, they are saying, He's not devoted to us, really. So, hold on to Numbers 20. I'm going to pick some two more passages from that. Or verses. Okay, here it is. Verse 2 reads, Now, there was no water for the community... And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and, and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the lost community into this desert? That we and our lifestyle should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? He has no grain of figs, grapevines, or pomegranates. And there's no water to drink. Now, so God instructed Moses and Aaron to do something. And the instruction is given, look at verses 7 and 8. The same numbers 20, look at verses 7 and 8. It is, the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff 
and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together speak to that rock before their eyes and he will pour out his water you will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their lifestyle can drink now notice what God said speak to the rock now Moses instead of doing exactly what God said made a speech that was uncalled for and that speech implies that he and Aaron not God will produce the water according to the same numbers 20 look at verse 10 look at verse 10 verse 10 says he and Aaron that's Moses gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them listen you rebels must we bring you water out of this rock that's not what the Lord told him but you see frustrated I imagine because of how rebellious these people were and now here is what he says must we bring you water out of this rock now so Moses failure was certainly associated with his speech Dozen, when God said that Moses did not show him to be holy to Israel, he meant that Moses did not convey to Israel that their God was devoted to providing for them so as to bring them to the promised land. That's what Moses failed to do here. Now so, the context helps us then to understand what it means that God is holy. Consequently, we have a better explanation to the failure that God charged Moses and Aaron. They did not show the people that the Lord was devoted to his plan with respect to bringing Israel to the promised land. That's what God wanted him to show. Because they are complaining, he's, he's not devoted. He should have been saying, no, your God is devoted to you. And this word, holy, has been devoted, helps us to understand that. Now, another passage that Professor Gentry really considered that indicates that it is the context that it determines what it means that God is holy in the sense of being devoted is the passage we cited previously. That is the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Now the seraphs had declared that God is holy in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. Isaiah, and hold on to Isaiah, I'm going to pick up uh, more passages in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 reads, And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So what does it here and then mean to declare God holy in this passage? Now taking the meaning of the word holy as devoted 
The question is to what is God devoted? Because if you say holy, holy means devoted, devoted, devoted. So what is devoted to what? Now the answer lies of course within the context of the declaration. The context of this declaration, according to Prophet Gentry, is the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah, particularly Isaiah chapter 5 verses 15 and 16. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 It is so man will be brought low and mankind humbled the eyes of the arrogant humbled but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the Holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness show himself holy by his righteousness see verse 16 indicates that God's holiness is related to his justice and righteousness of course it is probably justice that was in the mind of the prophet since the word righteousness is translated from a Hebrew word that also means justice. So when it is declared by the seraphs that God is holy, they mean that God is devoted to his justice. In spite of the complaint of Israel, that says the opposite. What we say today. That is because God is not devoted to his justice. Now when you look around us. Things happening in the world today. Most of us would think that way. God is not. You know he's not devoted to his justice. There's so much unfairness. But God is devoted to his justice. And he carries it out. In the way he chooses. And in the manner he specifies. So then. All we're saying is. That the people of Israel, in the time of prophet Isaiah, clamored for God to bring judgment because of the injustice that was prevalent in the society. Now we see that same thing today. A lot of people are clamoring for God to do something because of so much injustice around that does mean that God is not devoted to his justice. But some people will think, oh well, since he's not doing anything I'm seeing right away, he must not be devoted to his justice. But he is. Now, because of what's going on, the people of Israel complained about God's justice. And this we can read from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. Verse 18 reads, Woe to those who draw sin along with cause of deceit. In other words, people travel, thrive with sin. And they toy with sin. That's part of uh, carrying it along or, or drawing a, uh, sin along. He said, And wickedness as with cat ropes. 
To those who say, let God hurry. Let him hasten his work so we may see it. In other words, people are saying, oh yeah, if your God is just, why is all this is happening? Even when it is clear that something is unjust, nothing happens. And people will wonder, but God has his time. He said, let it approach. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come. So we may know it. That was God reveal your justice so we shall see it. Now, that it is Israel's complaint that God is not devoted to his justice. That was intended in the word holy is then confirmed by the prophet's response in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5. He reads, Woe to me, that's what the prophet is saying, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now they, they cry, I am ruined, can also be translated, I am silenced. That's another way it can be translated. I am silenced. You know, I am speechless. I've come to be speechless. Now, as Professor Gentry observed, Isaiah does not say that he is impure. He didn't say that. Or that the people are impure. He says that his lips and the lips of the people are impure. Now, this refers to all the words then, and to all the words of the prophet and that of the people. Now, these words stand in uh, contrast to the words of the seraphs. Remember what they say? Devoted, devoted, devoted. And Israel is saying, no, he's not. Now, so Isaiah and the people cannot participate then in worship led by the seraph because his lips and the lips of the covenant people are filled with words challenging God's justice and so impugning his holiness or his devotion. Now, in other words, they are impugning God is not devoted to his justice. Again, there are a lot of people saying that when they see a lot of injustice and nothing seems to happen. And they say, well, God is not devoted. But he is. So the point though is really that the word holy, as used by the seraphs in Isaiah 6 verse 3, means that God is completely devoted to his justice and righteousness. So in any event, it is then better to understand the word holy when used of God to mean devoted. So when you see that in the Old Testament and it's associated with God holy, it means devoted. So with this meaning then, we may now interpret what it is about God that Moses meant in the phrase where we're starting, go back to Exodus 15, go back to verse 11. Now that we have the background of what the word holy means, 
Now we can go back and say, what does it mean when it says majestic in holiness? Majestic in holiness. Now the context of the phrase that we are considering is the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. So the implication is that the devotedness of God in our passage is concerned with deliverance of his people and by implication his devotedness to his word. So, when Moses wrote about God in the phrase majestic in holiness, no doubt he would imply what some have interpreted the phrase as wonderful in your power or awesome in what you can do. But because of the context and the meaning of the word holy that we have just completed examining, he probably meant that God's devotion to the deliverance of, of his people inspires all all reverence on the part of Israel. In other words, once they saw how God was devoted to them, it should trigger some awe or respect for God. That's what Moses is doing in his uh, songs of praise here. Now this devotion of God then to his people is unparalleled in that no divine being can or is capable of such devotion. Hence, when you praise God, now this thing is, we're talking with Israel. Here is what we're saying for you as a, new, as a believer. God is devoted to you. Now that should get you thinking. God is devoted to you. In his goodness, he is devoted to you. So if you know that the God of the universe is devoted to you, to your, whatever it is about you, he's devoted. If you know that, then that should put you in a different mindset. That mindset, how can the God of the universe look at a little ant like me and be devoted, so devoted to be concerned, really? And so that should put you thinking. So then, when you praise God, you should acknowledge His uniqueness in being devoted to His people and to His word. So I am saying that you should acknowledge, no doubt, the uniqueness of God in His concern for you as well as for all His children. That is part of what you should praise Him when you are praising God for what he has done for you. Because it's because he's devoted to you that he's able to do whatever he did. Now another unique characteristic of God that should be acknowledged in praising him derived from the rhetorical question of Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 when he said, Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, Walking wonders is his omnipotence. Now we have seen that the word majestic in holiness has to mean he is so devoted to you as a believer. Now I keep repeating that. I hope I repeat it enough that it gets into your mind. That you really, it sticks. 
So when you go around, you realize, oh no, this God is devoted to me. When we created the universe, he is so devoted to me. And that means, if he is so devoted to you, don't you see it's almost suicidal if you are not devoted to him. For the God of the universe to be devoted to you, and you are not to him, think about it. In my mind, that's almost suicidal. So he is devoted to you. But in along with that, Father, he is devoted to you. When he said, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, walking in wonders, is what I say, he is omnipotent. Anyway, when we say that God is omnipotent, we mean that he is all-powerful, and there is no real barrier to his acting or doing all in his holy will. But some, they would think that to say that God is omnipotent means that God can do anything. That, again, we've uh, been emphasizing that that's not quite an accurate description of God, since there are things that his nature will not permit him to do. For example, he cannot lie. As in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. It is a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So, by his nature, he couldn't lie. So, we could not say that he can do anything. We can say that. And instead, though, he is powerful. To do anything that is within his will or nature. Of course, having said this though, it's important to be careful to understand the rhetorical questions that you may find in some passages in the scripture. You have to take a good look at, it, at them when you, uh, if you read and see them. Take for example, the question in Genesis 18 verse 4. Genesis. Oh, I mean, sorry. Genesis chapter 18 verse 14, sorry. Genesis chapter 18 verse 14 reads, Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. See, the, the question should be understood within the context of making Sarah a woman who has way, way, way past her menopause to have a son so that anything here should be interpreted within the context 
of God's power to cause Sarah to have a son at an old age. So anyway, omnipotence of God involves the fact that his power is infinite and so cannot be limited by anything other than self-limitation imposed by God's nature. Since the psalmist indicates to us that God does whatever he pleases in Psalm 115 verse 3. Psalms 115, verse 3. Psalms 115, verse 3. And uh, hold on to Psalm after one more passage. I come right back to Psalms. Psalms 115, verse 3 reads, Our God is in heaven. He does Whatever pleases him. Now God's power is such though that he can do things beyond our imagination. As the Holy Spirit states through Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. So anyway, the point is that when we say that God is omnipotent we mean that God is able to do anything within his holy will. Now it is within his holy will to deliver Israel from the hands of the Egyptians that were in hot pursuit of them. And he showed his devotedness to Israel by doing exactly that. So be that as he may, the omnipotence of God is conveyed in the verbal phrase of Exodus 15 verse 11 that we are studying when it says awesome in glory walking wonders. So this phrase is concerned with the omnipotence of God as implied in the Hebrew words used. See the word glory is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean really hymn of praise, hymn of praise as it is used by the psalmist in Psalm 40, verse 3. Hymn of praise. Psalm chapter 40, verse 3. The Hebrew word, translated glory, of course, the Hebrew word, the healer, the healer. It may mean, again, like I said, hymn of praise. So here we see it used that way. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise, that, that phrase, hymn of praise, is the healer, our Hebrew word. It says, a hymn of praise to our God. 
many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now the Hebrew word will also mean deeds that are worthy of praise. Deeds that are worthy of praise. It's, it is also used by the psalmist in the same sense in Psalm 78 verse 4. Psalm 78, verse 4. Psalms 78, verse 4 reads, We will not hide them from the children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds. In other words, praise what it is of the Lord. It's a promise. And that's what also parents should do. Tell your children, show them, convey to them the things that God has done in your life that are worthy of praise that you need to let them continue to know. He said, the praise what it is of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Now the Hebrew word also may mean fame or renown as it is used in the description of Damascus by prophet Jeremiah as he talked about his faith in Jeremiah chapter 49 verse 25. Jeremiah chapter 49 verse 25 Now the word we are looking at is the word translated glory in the passage we are studying Exodus 15:11 but here we say it has the meaning renown so here we know it reads why has the city of renown, that is a famous city, why is the city of renown not been, a, 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 not been abandoned? The town in which I delight. Now in our passage of Exodus 15:11, it probably means God's attribute that is responsible for the actions that are worthy of praise. That's probably the meaning. Instead of just saying glorious. So this is because firstly. Our Hebrew word is associated with the word awesome. Awesome. That word awesome is translated from a Hebrew participle. From, uh, from a Hebrew verb that means to fear. To fear. However, in our passage. It has the meaning of to be awesome. That is to be inspiring awe or inspiring reverence, or inspiring fear. Now it is true that what will inspire reverence or fear, on a surface level, will be God's action that are worthy of praise, but behind that is God's power. Now there are many things when you look at 
And you go through some places, maybe when the Lord brings disaster, you go and see how he leveled places, things, and that just, he begins, he gives you an understanding of that power. Although in that case, it's his destructive power too. Now, so, but what we are focused on here is, his days that are worthy of our praise. Thus, it's not so much really though what God has done that should inspire all in us as it is the power behind what he has done. You can see all that destruction, whatever, or even great thing that the Lord did that we call great because it benefits us. And when you see all that, don't be so much concerned about what you're seeing. Think about the power behind it. That's the characteristic of God that we're concerned with. So it's for this reason that we contend that Moses was concerned with God's power that is responsible for the actions that inspire all. Secondly, what Moses wrote next supports the assertion that it is the attribute of the power of God that is his omnipotence that inspires all or reverence for him more than the actions that result from his demonstration of his power. Now Moses wrote next in the verbal praise we're looking at verse 15, uh, chapter 15 verse 11. He said, walking wonders. Walking wonders. Now the word walking is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean to do or to make. Here it is used in the sense of the act or to perform. Now the word wonders is translated from a, a Hebrew word that means something that causes the feeling of wonder. Hence it means miracle or wonder. Now the so wonder or miracle is that which results from exercise of supernatural power. Thus the implication of the two words used is that Moses was in a sense explaining not just that God uh, or what God does is wonderful to behold, but that he does so or that what he does is a reflection of his power. Thus we contend that his focus is on the power of God. In that phrase, when he say awesome in glory, more than he does on, on the actual things that people saw happening. Consequently, it is important that the uniqueness of the power of God should be what you should be uh, celebrating or that what you celebrate in any praise of God for what is done for you. That I have said, it is one of the things, whenever God does, shows his goodness to you in any way, definitely one of it will be this power or some power that he has. So anyway, the point is that it is the uniqueness of God's omnipotence that Moses was concerned that believers should join him in praising God. That, that it is the uniqueness of the power of God that is to be acknowledged in praising him for his deliverance of his people is further stated in the next verse, that is, in verses, uh, verse 12 of Exodus chapter 15. But we're out of time, so we'll look at it next week. Meanwhile, I want you to go home thinking about this God who is so devoted to you and ask yourself, am I devoted back to him? He is awesome in power, 
Think about his awesome power, what he can do in whatever situation that you face. He can do whatever he wants to do. Nothing is impossible according to his nature or plan. So be always thankful that God is devoted to you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word this evening. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to challenge us to recognize how powerful you are and how devoted you are to us. So that in turn, we will show our own devotion to you by living obediently to you. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.